Hey friends, welcome back to Real Honest. I'm talking about sex today. So I have been told that I'm not great with my trigger warnings. So here is your trigger warning. We're talking about sex and I'm not trying to be a dick. I just really and truly, I was going to do a whole episode on trigger warnings and then I decided that like that's not (laughs) enough content. Um, But basically I don't understand the purpose of them. I feel like if you are a parent, I understand more like needing to know the content of something to be able to manage what your children are watching and what they're consuming. But like if you're a mom and you're picking the kids up from school, maybe don't have the romance novel audiobook on. Maybe don't have super explicit music on if those are things that you don't want your kids to listen to. Like it's the kind of thing of like if you are watching or reading something and you start to get triggered, close the book, turn it off. Like, I have never in my life seen a trigger warning at the beginning of a movie or a TV show and then, like, decided not to watch it. It's kind of just, like, some scenes and some stuff are harder to watch and, like, maybe I turn away or, like, whatever. I think the, the hardest thing for me to watch that I can recall is When They See Us on Netflix. That was, like maddening and I wouldn't even say it was triggering because it wasn't like I haven't experienced anything close to what those men experienced but it just was really like traumatic to see um and I watched that with one of my best friends and like we made sure to like take breaks in between and watch like some cute Disney stuff to like bring the mood back up. So I don't know. I just kind of feel like take care of your mental health however you do. But today I'm talking about sex. I really wanted to have various friends on this week to talk about different experiences across the spectrum of like people that grew up in the church and people that didn't and the different messages they got and what their experiences have been. Um, but most of my friends are (laughs) too shy to come on the podcast. Um, I do have one who is willing, but that's only offering like her perspective in mind. And I wanted to do a wider spectrum. Also, I have a friend that can't be a guest because her family thinks that she's a virgin, which (laughs) I just think is sad. In quick aside, I think that your sex life is your sex life. I think the only people who need to know about your sex life is you and your partners. I'm not saying that I think this friend should be like out to her family, but I am saying like, I don't think that your family should believe a lie because of a religion that you were raised in. Like, I feel like if if either of my parents ever, like if it came up in conversation, if either of my parents ever alluded to me being a virgin, I would be like, I'm definitely not, you know, and then I would move on. Like, I'm not giving them details because I don't talk to my parents about my love life at all. It's none of their business. But I wish that I could bring her on to talk to you guys because I do think that her perspective would be super helpful and interesting. But it is what it is, as as always, you have me. <laughs> and also I'm gonna remind you, I am not a biblical scholar. So my personal favorite podcast is called Theology in the Raw. It is hosted by Preston Sprinkle. He actually is a Bible scholar and has written many books and done a whole lot of research. So if you want some actual like Bible-based 
very well presented research. I highly recommend checking out his podcast or reading one of his books. He does a fantastic job of presenting both sides of an argument. And he also does a really great job of not saying this is 100% correct or this is 100% incorrect, but he says, here is how I went about researching this in the Bible. And I also went about researching it from the other point of view. And here is the conclusion that I came to through researching it this way. And I think his goal is to give people information so that they can come to their own conclusions as opposed to telling people what they should do, which I really, really appreciate and admire. So that being said, I'm not here to tell you what the Bible tells you to do. Um, I'm not even sure that I personally believe that the Bible says that we cannot have sex until we're married, but for the sake of this podcast, let's just proceed as if that is a fact. So I find it really interesting that so many Christians seem to forget that churches are run by people. People are flawed. People make mistakes. People misunderstand things. People misteach things, even with good intention. And the other thing that people do is people weight sin in terms of murder is worse than lying. God doesn't. So in God's eyes, sin is sin. It's all the same. And it's all been wiped away by Jesus. That's not license to sin. Like it's not to say, oh, well, Jesus died for my sins, so I can just go out here and live however I want. That's not what I'm saying. But what I am saying is that when you do something that the Bible says is a sin, you can repent and be forgiven for that. Like that's how it works. For some reason, the church at large over the years has decided that being gay and having sex before you're married are like the ultimate sins after murder. Like these are like the unforgivable things. And these are like the two things that the church likes to focus on for some reason, which doesn't make any sense. I am of the opinion that specific sins are mentioned in the Bible, not to give us a list of what we can and can't do. I think they are there as jumping off points to start conversations with Jesus. So for example, the Bible says that drunkenness is a sin. I can count on one hand how many times I have been intoxicated. I do not get drunk because I do not enjoy being drunk. It has nothing to do with the Bible telling me that drunkenness is a sin. So when I read in the Bible that drunkenness is a sin, I am like, cool, I can skip that one because it doesn't apply to me because that's not something I engage in. When the Bible says homosexuality is a sin, I'm like, cool, I can skip that because I'm not gay. That doesn't apply to me. When I read that lying is a sin, I'm like, hmm, Jesus, let's talk about this because I lie a lot. I lie to spare people's feelings. I lie to myself to spare my own feelings. Sometimes I even lie unintentionally. Like I think sometimes it's kind of a default when somebody asks, hey, how are you doing? And They're saying it just as a greeting and they expect you to just say, good, you, and they say good and move on. But if I'm not really doing good, I just lied, right? 
So that's something to me that I am like, if I'm wanting to follow the 10 commandments and everything that the Bible says is not a sin, if I'm actively trying to live a sinless life, even though it's impossible. So that's another thing, but that's not today's episode. Um, but you know, if I'm trying to live a sinless life and that's something that I struggle with, then I'm going to pray about that, right? Where I didn't need to pray about drunkenness or homosexuality, but I need to pray about lying. And that's just kind of how I look at it. I think those are why specific things are called out is to help you speak to Jesus about something. So growing up in the church, the messaging that I got is save yourself for marriage. Sex is designed to be enjoyed in marriage And if you're not married, you shouldn't be having sex. And if you've already had sex, then you need to repent and never do it again until you're married. This is confusing because some people are single forever. You know, there are lots of people who don't get married. Why would God create the sex drive and allow you to have one and be single forever? It's Does he just want to torture people? Like, I don't know God to be someone that likes to torture people. And then there are people that will use Paul's letters to say, if you can't control your urges, you should get married. And then you've got all the Christians that are getting married just because they want to have sex, which is absurd. I had a friend at a church once tell me that my lack of sex drive is God's way of calling me to a lifetime of singleness, which I just think is absurd because there are married people that don't have sex drives or have very low sex drives. Just like there are single people that have very high sex drives that don't have a prospect of a partner. So I don't think that you can take someone's sex drive alone as whether or not they're called to be married. There is so much more that goes into marriage than that. There's also the whole argument of like, because sex creates children and the ideal scenario for children to be raised in is with two married parents, one male and one female, then anybody outside of that shouldn't be having sex. Which like, what about infertility? There are lots of good married Christians that are infertile. So I just, again, everyone is individual. Everyone has their own personal relationship with God. Everyone has their own personal journey with sex. And I just think that the church at large does a really, really, really poor job talking about it. So there's a recent episode of Theology in the Raw where Preston Sprinkle interviews a OBGYN and they talk about the massive numbers of married Christian women that report problems in their sex life. I don't remember the exact stat, so I'm not going to list a stat here, but I know it's crazy high of women that have vaginismus, which is when like the muscles just kind of shut down. And it comes from primarily in the Christian community, this idea that you have been told your entire life that sex is wrong and sex is bad and you can't show any skin because then men will look at you and you'll tempt them to want to have sex with you and now you're forcing them into sin because your shirt had a little cleavage and I feel like I'm pretty like there are so many youth pastors out there I'm pretty sure that my youth pastor at one point said this too that like if you 
when you get married, if you are not a virgin and or if your husband's not a virgin, then you are now having sex with every person that your husband's ever been with. And he is also having sex with every person that you've ever been with. And I'm just like, how does that even make sense? Like logically, physically, spiritually, how, in what universe does that make any sense? And it's just so like, shut it down, shut it down, shut it down, run away from it. And then when you get married, it's like, now it's great. Go try all the things, enjoy it. And nobody is talking about how difficult it is to just flip that switch of literally overnight on your wedding night, you are supposed to go from red light to green light. And I remember... When I was younger, like the early messages that I got about sex, I remember when I was like eight or nine years old saying to my mom, like, I'm only going to have sex twice in my life on my wedding night and to conceive my daughter. And my mom laughed and said, like, if you try to do that, you're going to be divorced quickly. (laughs) Like you're not staying married if you try to do that. And of course, at eight, I didn't really understand what she meant, but... I did hear, okay, sex is a thing that you like have to do in marriage. And one of my mom's friends, when I was in elementary or middle school, once told me that having a baby is like pushing an elephant through a straw. This just terrified me. I also have always been, and I'm still to this day, terrified of getting pregnant. Like I do not want to ever experience pregnancy. I think everything about how children are created is gross. Like I'm so sorry to all the parents out there. I just, I'm happy for you. I don't want to be one. I don't want to experience. I just think the fact that like babies grow inside people and then your boobs make milk. I don't think that's cool. I think it's gross. And I just like do not want any part of it. And I remember being so deathly afraid of sex and so against it that my friends and I in high school would joke about, I think we had learned probably from books and TV at that time that like the first time is really painful for the girl. And we were all so scared of how much it was going to hurt that we would joke about getting blackout drunk on our wedding nights so that our husbands could just do whatever the first time and we wouldn't have to remember it or feel it or experience it. How fucking sad is that? Seriously, like I just cannot, I cannot even imagine. And so along with talking about sex, I think we also need to talk about relationships and what that means. Like when kids start showing an interest in dating, I feel like parents need to sit down and be like, what is a date to you? Ask your teenage girls, like, why do you want a boyfriend? And what comes to mind is there's an episode of Wizards of Waverly Place where Alex really wants to go on a date. And her dad's like, you're not old enough. You can't date. And then she's like, but everyone else is going like, and she names like 11 or 12 friends that are like all going out to dinner. And her dad laughs and is like, oh my gosh, that's not a date. Of course you can go. And it's one of those things where like, you know, it's a joke, but 
imagine the conversations that you could have and the children that could be saved from humiliation and discomfort if like your kid said like I want to go on a date and you just said like what does that mean like a date with who what are you going to do like just get more information about who's involved in the activity and all of that kind of stuff the first time I had a boyfriend I was probably 13 it was Cameron I assume Cameron's mom told my mom or somebody at church told both our moms. I don't know if he told his mom. And then, so my mom knew. And then I was doing my homework one day in the kitchen and my dad came in and just stood there staring at me while I was doing my homework. And so I looked up and I was like, do you need something? (laughs) Like, can I help you? And he was like, your mom tells me that you have a boyfriend. And I was like, okay. And he was like, who is it? And I was like, well, I'm assuming you know. Did, did mom leave out that tidbit of information? Like, what are we doing here? And he said, why didn't you ask me? <laughs> and I just like, yeah, I was a bratty 13-year-old. But at the same time, I was like, because he asked me to be his girlfriend, not you. <laughs> like, what are you talking? And you know, it just was a whole like... It was ridiculous. And my dad had this rule that like we couldn't date until I think I think we had to be 16 to date. But he really had never defined what dating was. And Cameron and I were 13. We went to church together, but we went to different schools. So, of course, neither of us could drive. We never went on a date like we barely saw each other. And his family didn't even go to church every Sunday. So it was kind of like I think we would hold hands in the like youth church on days that we were both there. And other than that, we texted each other every single day and we talked on the phone every night. Like that was our entire relationship. But like, since I wasn't 16 yet and technically wasn't allowed to date, like I wasn't allowed to go to homecoming at Cameron's school. My dad let us go to homecoming at my school because my sister was going. And so she was like our chaperone, even though she's only 18 months older than me. And Cameron was pissed. I remember like he was so mad. He was like, I remember him like yelling at me because he was like, he was like, what did you do? Like you got grounded so you can't come to homecoming with me. And I was like, I'm not grounded. Like I'm not allowed to date. Like He just won't let me go to your homecoming. I'm sure it was like a control thing for my dad where for my homecoming, like Cameron came to our house for dinner and then me and Cameron and my sister and her date like all went together. And so she was like there with me the whole time. And I guess he, I don't know if he didn't trust Cameron's parents or what it was, but like, I was like, you know, there's going to be like, it would literally be the same thing. If I go to his homecoming, it's just going to be his mom instead of you. Um, And I'm sure he was just like so deathly afraid that I was going to get pregnant. just like we weren't oh my god we didn't even kiss each other like literally we talked on the phone every day that was it and that was all we were trying to do like oh my gosh like it wouldn't I I did not even think about kissing him the whole time he was my boyfriend like not once I totally understand that like as a parent you're like so afraid that your kid is gonna have sex and get pregnant and die (laughs) but it was so harmless and just imagine like the way that my dad approached that made me shut down. Like what that communicated to me was dad's not someone I can talk to about boys. 
dad's not someone I can talk to about dating. Dad's not a place to go with questions or anything, like just straight up nothing. And of course, as a young teenage girl, like we were all obsessed with having boyfriends. It was like, that was the center of our lives. We all wanted boyfriends so bad. And even like none of us were really talking about what it meant to have a boyfriend. And looking back and thinking about it, like it was like whenever the whenever our football team would get a touchdown, if like one of the football players was dating one of the cheerleaders and he would like run off and like kiss her on his way off the field or whatever, like it was really cute and that was really exciting. And everybody was like, oh, they love each other. And it's like, that's what we wanted. And of course, we're like reading books and watching TV shows and movies that's all just like get your happily ever after. And like, if you're a girl, your whole purpose in life is to find your husband and then go be a wife. So like when I got to high school and then had my second ever boyfriend, like it was a situation where we still weren't old enough to drive. He lived downtown. So he was like, I'm out in the suburbs. So he was like 45 minute drive from me. So we saw each other every day at school and like he walked me to class and he carried my books and that was all I wanted. (laughs) Like I talked to this boy for I think a whole year before he finally asked me to be his girlfriend and I was elated. Like all I wanted was to have a boyfriend and I was so, so excited that I finally had one. And then (laughs) color me surprised when three months into our relationship, he was like, hey, so it's been three months. And I was like, yeah, what's your point? And he was like, you barely kissed me. And I was like, yeah, what's your point? (laughs) And he was like, I mean, usually like couples have sex by now. And I was like, do they? And I was just very like, where, where are we going to have sex? We literally only see each other at school. And he was seriously like, we can have sex in the supply closet. And it became like this game that I played with him of like, we would break up every time he would mention this to me. (laughs) And then like, we'd get back to it. Like we were that obnoxious couple in high school that was like constantly breaking up and getting back together because nobody was talking to me about like what dating should be. And this was, I was 16, I think when I dated that guy. So we would have been around, this was around the time that my youth pastor was like talking about purity rings and we were getting the purity talk. So I will say in my dad's defense, I asked for the purity ring. Like I asked my parents to buy me a purity ring. I did not, like it was not forced upon me. My youth pastor did not make me get it. Like that was totally, I was president of my youth group and I was like, I'm gonna be pure forever. I don't know if purity rings are still a thing. I really hope that they're not. Um, But my understanding of it at the time was that you wear a ring on your wedding finger that says true love waits on it. And it has um, some Bible verse, I think it's in Corinthians, inscribed on the inside, which is supposed to be like a symbol that (laughs) you're not going to have sex until you're married and it gets replaced with your engagement ring. Um, And the whole thing is just so gross and terrible, I think. But for me as a 16-year-old, when I got it, it was very much out of fear. Like I was choosing to not have sex until I was married 
because I was afraid of going to hell if I broke this rule. And I also was just afraid of sex. (laughs) And I was like, if I can put it off until my wedding night, then that's many, many years before I have to endure that pain and like deal with that. Because all that I knew was that it was going to be excruciatingly painful and that eventually it was going to result in me having a baby, which was also going to be excruciatingly painful. And it was also probably slightly influenced by the Jonas Brothers, because you know all the Jonas Brothers wore purity rings and Disney like turned it into like part of their brand, because that's, I hate Disney for that. I don't recall being in, like, I definitely did not get it because the Jonas Brothers had one. I definitely got it for, like, what I felt like was my own personal religious reason. But the Jonas Brothers having them made it cool. Like, nobody ever made fun of me for having one. It was like, oh, the Jonas Brothers do too. And, like, they're famous. So, cool. Good for you. So, I was like, oh, this purity ring is a way to get out of pain. And I remember like my dad was so proud that I wanted to get one. And whenever I dumped the boy, they kept pressuring me to have sex. And I was just like, no, I don't want to. Like my dad was like so proud of me for dumping the boy, even though like, again, we had nowhere to even do it. Like we literally only saw each other at school and there were like six minutes between, well, okay, you can have sex in six minutes. So let me not whole between classes thing. Um, so I'm not even sure what the messaging is that they tell kids today. Um, I actually don't recall since joining my current church that my pastor has preached on this topic at all. So I'm not even, (laughs) I don't even know what he would say to today's teens. But in high school, the whole purity ring thing kind of backfired because it kind of became a game to the boys of like, let's see if I can date her and get her to change her mind. Or they would be like, oh, she's not having sex. Stay away from her. And they just like wouldn't even speak to me. That was very frustrating. And then the boy that I dated my senior year of high school, like, He came from a good Christian family and like we were both virgins and like agreed to wait until we were married and whatever. And he found porn one day and got addicted to sex like overnight and was like, we have to, we have to. And so here's the thing. It's like when you tell a young girl like don't have sex, it's bad. And if boys try to pressure you, they're bad. But then all of the boys that you like try to pressure you. What I was feeling at that age was like, okay, so I'm not supposed to date boys because all they want from me is sex. But I'm supposed to get married and be someone's wife. And dating comes before marriage. So how am I supposed to date a boy if he won't date me if I don't have sex with him? And how how do I ever get to the marriage part? Because I don't know a single boy that is like down with 
waiting. And even I finally found this one who asked me to go to church with his family for our first date. Like, how sweet is that? And he's still like, I mean, I think we were together for like a year and a half, almost two years before he started like really, really pressuring me. And at that time, like we had already talked about getting married and named all of the children that we didn't have. And I thought that we were going to be together forever. And so it's another thing that I feel like if somebody had told me when I was a teenager, like, hey, you're probably not going to end up with the first person that you fall in love with. And that's okay. You're probably not going to end up with the first person that you date. And that's okay. But I don't feel like anyone said that to me. I feel like all I was told was that like my job in the world is to be a wife (laughs) and a mother. And you become a wife and a mother by getting married and you get married by dating. And apparently all the boys can't keep it in their pants. And there's a whole, I know a lot of people are like big fans of Michael Todd's church in Tulsa. And he and his wife have a book called Relationship Goals that I actually think a lot of the book has really sound teaching, except they do mention in the book, they say that sex is a need for men and it's not a need for women. And they say this after like giving the definition of a need is like things that you can't survive without like food and water. Um, And like... you can survive without sex. You absolutely can. (laughs) So all this to say, like when my high school boyfriend, like finally his whole thing was, is, isn't the whole point of waiting until you get married that you're only ever with one person. So like, we already know that we're going to marry each other. So like, what difference does it make if we do it now? Or if we do it in 10 years and we get married, like, we're only ever going to be with each other. So like, we don't have to worry about like diseases or anything. And it just was like, those were conversations that he and I were having. And I didn't have anyone talking to me about what really is the logic behind waiting until you're married. I still don't know. Um, I'm not interested in sex, so I, I don't care to research this. But if you are a Christian who is interested in waiting or finding out more, I do think that's something you should do some personal study on. And if I ever have an interest in it again in the future, um, I definitely will look into that. But I think there's a lot um, in the Bible, of course, but there's a lot of resources and books about what the Bible says about marriage and what the biblical model of marriage is, how a um, a man and woman Christian marriage is supposed to mirror the relationship of Christ and the church, which I don't fully understand what that means, to be perfectly honest with you. But that's that's what I'm saying. It's like the, the kids that were expecting to make these decisions were like all we're telling them is don't do it, it's wrong that that doesn't help them like you you know we the church needs to be educating okay why is it wrong like what is just saying sex was designed for marriage because it makes babies like again infertility is a thing and like birth control is a thing so it's just kind of like the church needs to explain why did god design sex like what is the purpose 
what is the purpose within the marriage commitment and for people that are single, like what are they expected to do with their sex drive? But there's also the assumption that everyone has a sex drive and everyone has like that. I feel like that's the other end of the spectrum of people saying like these urges are natural and everyone has them and we shouldn't be suppressing them. Like I never had them. So like I was a freshman. I think I think I dated the boy from my senior year in high school, like into my sophomore year of college. And I just could not understand like why he was having these urges all the time because I did not have them ever. Like I was just very like, I love I think you're very attractive. I love kissing you. I love holding your hand. I love hugging you, but like I just nothing ever stirred in me to like want to do anything beyond that. Like I just didn't ever have a desire. And like imagine if you wait until you're married and then you get married and you're like waiting for you're like okay, I'm married now, so I'm supposed to just be overcome with feelings of desire for my husband and like they were never there before they're not going to just appear on your wedding night and also just like the idea that you'll just know what to do and the parts just fit together is complete bullshit and I'm just so frustrated that there's not more education. Like I remember when I was in high school, I only had one friend that I knew of that had had sex. And what she said to me was, it's really uncomfortable. Sometimes it kind of hurts, but I mean, it only takes like 10 or 15 minutes that you have to lay there and then he'll give you whatever you want for the next four hours. (laughs) And I was just like, that doesn't sound fun. And also my boyfriend already gives me whatever I want. And I don't have to do that. So like, that's not really, it's really not enticing me. That's not something I want to do. And it was just, it made me so terrified of marriage that I was like, I'm going to be forced to do this thing that I don't enjoy. Like if anybody has watched Queen Charlotte, Lady Danbury and her husband's relationship, it's like every time they have sex, like she's not in pain, but she absolutely does not enjoy it. And like, it's not, it's because of the lack of education. Like it just did not occur to either of them that she even could enjoy it. Like they literally did not know that that was a possibility. So it wasn't something that was ever explored. And I think that is just so sad. I feel like every sexual experience that I have ever had has been because I was in love with a man that either demanded it or begged for it or like whatever was really obnoxious about it but I had that experience over and over again like repeatedly with so many different guys that I dated where um and I wouldn't always give in like a lot of times I we broke up over it um but sex became like the thing that either it didn't happen and that ended the relationship or it happened and it was terrible and that ended the relationship and I was just very like how am I ever gonna get married Like, I can't get married. Like, if I get married, we're going to have sex and it's going to be terrible and we're going to get divorced. And I don't want to get divorced. So I think that's honestly, really and truly, that's a big part of, like, why I am single now. Because I've had so many terrible experiences in that department. And I know that that's a significant part of marriage and I don't want anything to do with it. 
But I feel like while, yes, there absolutely are men that are out there that won't pressure you, I have had more experiences with ones that do. And I I have even dated like a really, really super, super nice guy who was so, so sweet. And anytime that we would be alone together, he would go out of his way. I mean, like he would sit on a different, like the other side of the room to make sure that he like wasn't touching me in any way and was very like, I just want to make sure that you never feel pressured by me. And like that ended our relationship because he was so aggressively in the opposite direction that like he wouldn't even hold my hand or like hug me for a long time if I just like wanted to be held because he was just like constantly worried that I was gonna feel pressure. And like that in itself made me think about it all the time and it was just so exhausting. And then on the other end of the spectrum, like I only have one Christian male friend that I am aware of that is waiting until he's married. And this man talks about his future sex life with his wife who he has not yet met. It like in just the most ridiculous, like, we're going to do it 17 times a day. Like she better be ready at any time because she's going to just look at me and I'm going to pounce. And I am just like, I pray to God that your wife's libido matches yours. Because if you marry a woman whose sex drive is lower than yours, you are going to be in for a rude awakening and like what do you do and it's just like he thinks that it's gonna be just so simple and easy and if it doesn't work the way he expects it to then like you know they'll just work through it and it'll be simple but I feel like it's not simple and nobody is talking about that like for so many people it is a source of so much pain and so much frustration even within marriage to the point where it's like you know actually the thing that convinced me to not wait until I married it wasn't even the guy that I was dating at the time it was an article that I read it was it was a woman sharing her story um, and she basically was saying like she was raised super religious And she did all the right things and she was a virgin until she was married. And then I forget how long she said she was married, but she was married for many years and the sex was terrible. And she said it was very painful. She was always uncomfortable. And um, I don't know if she shared whether or not like how they worked on it or if they went to therapy or anything, but she said that she thought something was wrong with her. Like she thought that she was broken and they ended up getting divorced And she is now in a new relationship where she is having sex and the man like communicates so much better and like has learned her body and she's learned his and they have learned like what each other likes and wants and she feels really cared for in a way that she never did by her previous husband. And she was like, you know, I wish that I had known 
that it could be like this because I would not have suffered in that marriage as long as I did. And that was like the the thing for me as a teenager where I was just like so worried that I was going to get married and it was going to be awful that I was like, I'm, I don't want to get divorced. So let me just try this now. And like he and I have all this time to figure it out before we get married Um, But it ended up being so terrible (laughs) that it was like the thing that ended our relationship because I was just like, I'm in pain all the time. Like, I can't deal with this. Um, And for anyone that's like, you're not supposed to be in pain. Like, yes, I've been to my doctor. I've been to all the doctors. Um, So just don't even come at me with that nonsense. It's one of those things that like, if you are a parent, please have open and honest conversations with your child. And if you go to church or if you lead a church, the message of God said to wait, that's the right thing to do. It's a sin not to wait. It's not enough. That's not giving people any education. It's not giving people a reason or anything to hold on to. It's quite honestly just adding more confusion. And we all know that teenagers rebel. So there's a whole lot of people that are just out here like, just because I was told not to, I'm doing it kind of thing. And there are also the people that are like having great experiences with it. And they're like, I don't understand why this is so bad or wrong or like what I'm doing that's terrible and like what makes me a monster. A practical example for you, which I think is just so fantastic. I recently went to visit my cousins. Their daughter is eight. And so she comes home from school one day and she's talking about how there's a boy in class that really likes her and he's seemingly always getting excuses to get up so he can hug her. Like he's got to sharpen his pencil and he's got to cross the room and pass her desk. Um, And every time he passes her, he gives her a hug. And her mom was just very casually like, does that bother you? And she was like, what, hugging him? And her mom's like, yeah. And she's like, no, it's fine. And her mom was like, okay, well, that's fine as long as as long as it doesn't bother you or you want to hug him too. That's okay. But if he's hugging you too much and you don't like it, you know to tell him to stop or get the teacher if you need them, right? And she's like, yeah, of course. And we just just moved on. Like it wasn't it wasn't a big deal. It wasn't like, oh my gosh, what a boy is touching you. You know, it was just casual conversation. Like we could have been talking about lunch. And that makes her feel safe to where she can come to her mom and like talk about this stuff with her mom and everything is just open and honest like i feel like would have been what would have been really helpful for me when i was dating in high school and stuff is if my parents have been like hey what do you and your boyfriend talk about just just casually not not accusing but just like what do you guys talk about like what do you guys do when we hang out and so i could have been like we watch movies and sometimes we kiss. And then my mom could have been like, do you like it? And I would have been like, no, I don't. <laughs> oh my gosh, all the boys I dated in high school didn't know how to kiss and it was disgusting. Um, but it's, it's, it's just one of those things where you just, you need to create an environment where your kids feel safe to share with you so that you can talk about things so that they don't become adults that are just out here trying to figure it out and don't have any help. And then they end up in therapy, put them in therapy when they're 10. Or younger. I don't know. How how early can you start therapy? Can you start it at two? Like, let's all, let's all just be in therapy from birth. Moving into the hard conversation of the week. This is a hard conversation that I should have had, but I chose not to have. Partially out of fear, 
but also out of, I had a good idea of what was going to happen if I had the conversation and I decided that it was easier not to. My mom's brother is in town visiting and I have not seen this man in probably 20 years. Um, I don't have a relationship with him. I don't talk to him. I don't know him. Like my uncle is effectively a complete stranger to me. And my mom had told me like, he's going to be in town. Like, I really want you to come over and spend some time with him. Like, let's, let's all ride bikes together. And I first am just like, I don't know if like he's super athletic, but I know that my mom is. And I know that she knows that I'm not like, I don't own a bike. I haven't ridden a bike since elementary school, I don't think. And it was interesting because I said that to her and she was like, well, I own three bikes and it's, you can practice around the neighborhood. It's not like you don't forget how to ride a bike. Like it's really easy to jump back on. And I was like, it's, it's not that I am afraid that I don't remember how to ride a bike. It's just that I don't want to ride a bike. Like my mom loves to be active. Like she's, she's really into going for walks and working out and biking. And like, that's really great. I'm not (laughs) like I work out because I have to for my health, but I do not enjoy it. And I don't want to get on a bike ever. Like that's just not my idea of a good time. (laughs) And so it's one of these things where I'm just very like, can we please just get to know each other well enough where the stuff that we're suggesting does not start with something that would make one of us miserable. But I did, I did proceed to be like, not going to ride bikes. I don't want to do that. And then she had mentioned that like my uncle likes to cook. So she said like he would make, make, maybe I could join them for a meal or something. And I was like, okay, great. Like that's easy. That's quick. And I had some time over the weekend because I was going to see a movie at a theater that's like down the street from my parents' house. And then I had plans a little bit after the movie. So I was like, okay, I have a a window from like four to six that I'm available that day. And so that will be easy, like quick visit. I'll be in and out. And so that's what I ended up doing. And so I went for the couple of hours. We had a meal together. It was exactly as awkward as I expected it to be. I was very uncomfortable. And I wish that I had been able to tell my mom, like, I know that this is your brother and you love him and that's great, but he is a complete stranger to me. And I don't want to go over for dinner. I don't want to ride bikes. I don't want to do anything. I don't want to spend the time because I haven't had a conversation with him in, I think, 20 years. And I'm not going to have another conversation with him after this dinner. So it's just not going to change anything except for make me uncomfortable for two hours. And I don't like to be uncomfortable. Like I just very, I I'm uncomfortable enough. And when I have a choice of whether or not to be uncomfortable, I don't want to choose to be uncomfortable. Um, but I just like really, really didn't want to argue with her about it. And I felt like two hours, like was time that I could sacrifice my movie wreck of the week is simulant which is a classic ai gets autonomy movie um starring my absolute favorites robbie amell simu liu my husband um and jordana brewster and if for no other reason you should watch this movie because simu is a really fun villain 
I don't think I've seen him play a villain before and he was so much fun. It was really thought provoking. Like it really, really got me thinking like if we get to a point in our future where robots look just like humans and they have autonomy and they can think and they can have feelings, like at what point are they considered living beings to where they have to have rights like humans do? And that's kind of what this movie explores. It's not a particular, it's not a great movie. Um, I'm going to be honest. It, it really, it tries and doesn't quite succeed, but I still think it's worth watching. Like it definitely, it's fun. It's interesting. Just like, don't go in looking for like Oscar winning performances or stellar writing. Like go in to see Robbie shirtless a couple times and see Simu be a cool villain and let me know what you think about at what point do the robots have rights. I'm not here to sugarcoat life's already a bumpy road. Too much shelter causes pain. Let's just be real honest. Things are gonna knock you down. Avoidance will not help you. Well, let's talk it through here, me and you. Let's keep it real honest. <laughs>